0: So who's doing it well? Who's connecting both head and heart? And, and if we look at, and, and I'm sure we've got a mix of people in the room, so I'll just sort of shoot the breeze generally here, because um, I know it's not being recorded or, or going far and wide, but, but um, I think the, the evangelical world has looked at, at the Pentecostal world and seen the growth there. And I would say a lot of the growth over the last couple of decades in connecting with the next generation has been that they've done this, this vertical axis very well. No, the style, the, the involvement, the emotion, the music, the participation—you know, the the, um, the that that resonance and 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 that that visceral sort of side of it—I think has been has been strong. Um, but I would say, and I think they, and certainly from where I've come, you know, straight down the line, sort of evangelical uh, church um, that's almost been, um, I guess. Reluctant or, or sort of scared of anything expressive and, and we've, we've looked at that and sort of thought wow, you know, that's where the action is but, but I think if you just chase that, I mean again, you'll end up here And I don't think that's the answer particularly in the Australian context, which is firstly as we said generationally more educated More cynical more uh, not afraid to push back. You, you'll get some wins for a little while But then but then you'll get some pushback. I'm saying there's got to be this as well uh, Let's let's change Change analogy move to climate change. We've done a lot of research in this area. As recently as this week, we're finishing a project for a large um, um, electricity company. And and if we go back a few years ago, um, you know it was everyone was was out going crazy, and it was an inconvenient truth, and it was was this whole emotional space of people are spending a dollar fifty five to offset their flight to Adelaide and feeling good about themselves. Um, and then all of a sudden, it, it moved to we need to do something in tax and uh, and getting very rational around it. And all of this got burned off. Um, but but this didn't have a long, this didn't have much longevity, and this was only ever going to be window dressing until until sort of there was something structural and, and long term. But now it's gone here and, and not here. So we've moved from seekers to to sort of agreeers. Um, and when we run the surveys, people go, yeah, okay, you know. Um, Climate change, I can see that, and, and yeah, maybe you know, humans are having an impact in some way. But, 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 you know, I mean, I'm expressing the view out there in, in the suburbs. Do we, do we think we're really making a difference? And do, I, am I making a difference? Is my company make a difference? Or am I going to change the planet by my behaviours? I don't think so. I'm not convinced, um, and, and certainly not motivated to make a difference. So, so I think the point is that that you know, the logic is one thing, and the science, and the IPCC, right, they're, they're laying it all out there. So we move from polar bears, icebergs, and we saw that photo a lot, and now it was moving all that, so it moved from the from the very emotional to the very cognitive, and, and somehow we lost people you know, along the journey, and I think it can't be one or the other, it's got to be both, uh, if we are to get that long-term in, engagement and connection, and um, and you know, moving back to the, the issues that really matter um, uh, around the, 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 the gospel, I think that's the point, we need both, not one, yeah. So who's the... Now, can I ask, um, as someone who's done a whole bunch
1: of market, no, this sort of research, social research, and also as somebody who sits in the pew, so to speak, at a church, what's one thing that you actually wish that you that ministers would know from what you've done that they don't know what they haven't kind of got? So, mm, what's the mm. one one thing you really wish if church leaders knew this, that would make their job much easier? Yeah, that's
0: a good thing. I, yeah. Seems a bit strange repeating it. You, Mike mic was there, but better follow the instructions. So, so yeah, when I apply the the market and, and social research sort of mindset to um, to to sitting in the pews, what, what do I think you know needs to change, or do I wish that leaders had or got? I I think that when your experience entering a new zone or a, another part of your life, like church, feels like you're separating yourself from Rest of your life when when that when that cultural shift is too great when there's no congruency it, it, it seems a little strange and I I think that as churchgoers you know growing up in the church and and had some experience we can cope with that um, and I also think that the church is different and we can be okay with that because it's never going to be uh, I mean we sing and we pray and we preach from the Bible so there are some. And take communion. You know, there are some very different than baptism. There are very different things. But, but I think when we put ourselves in the shoes of young people, if if it is too much of a separate, parallel sort of existence, um, it's probably not good. We know the same is is the case in some schools. So, they're in the rest of their life using the smartphones they're interacting. They're three clicks away from any piece of information on the planet. And they come into school, and the rule is. Phone has to go on the teacher's desk, and uh, and then write, learn the formulas and study because we've got a, a, a closed book exam. And they're living in an open book world, and it's it's this clash of cultures. It doesn't make any sense to them. What, why do we have to memorise formulas when we carry the information? Why do we have to learn this when yeah you know, we all know we're going to you know, solve it in a, in, a, in a different way? So so I think that that congruency needs to be there. You know, I think that that the church does need to be. Um, in the world, not of the world, but but in the world and and, and have that resonance with the world, with society, with culture. And I think sometimes because most of the people in our churches um, can culturally adjust or have over the decades culturally adjusted, church goes on, but when you look at it through those fresh eyes, I think it's a very strange structure and I'm just not sure we're going to be as successful with the next generation. So... Not a, it's a more a general point than a specific answer.
2: Mark, I read your um, the white paper on the emerging enduring truth. This, this stuff, oh, yeah. um, and some of the big stuff you were talking about with emerging generations is the need for authenticity and for community. And lots of people would say um, big churches struggle with authenticity and community. How how would you you? Around and seen churches and big churches have been involved in. Um, how do large
3: organisations do the
0: authenticity community thing? Hmm. Well, I think large churches do have that advantage um, of that that extra <coughs> dynamic of being large and having a lot of people around. And and uh, you know we're talking about a generation that uh, that in many ways are disconnected from those other social bottlenecks, and they often um, don't have those big gatherings, and yet there is a desire for those bigger gatherings, so, so that can create a buzz and an atmosphere, um, which is great, but what it doesn't provide is that authenticity, that, that, that real connection. So when, I think, in the large you can have the small, when they can belong but still be part of something bigger. I think it's the best of both worlds. And I think for smaller churches that have the advantage of that intimacy and connection, when they can get together on occasion at the big events, you know, create that bigger buzz, that bigger experience, helping these people see that they're part of something that's not just this micro little dozen of us each week, but wow, look at all these people and like me and, you know, young or cool or whatever's going on out there. It's, it's very validating for them. So I think, you know, both is key. And, and I'm sure most churches have some pretty good strategies these days of connecting up through cell groups or small groups or other things. But I, I do think that's that's important. Um, and I think that we, we have to recognise that that the lifeblood of their friendships, their organically grown friendships, often takes place through technology. Uh, not that the friendship is facilitated there, but it's part of the, the, the interaction. Um, I think even the church can... And, you know, utilize that or those cell group leaders? You know through the texting or the updates or the, the instant semester whatever
3: it might be. Can some of that. Um, one of the things I've noticed um, in the last uh, in the last little while is that in particular subcultures, uh, there's there's a real there seems to be a real attraction to old tech to mm-hmm. old school stuff. So um, I'm a petrol head and a musician and. Um, it seems like musicians are addicted to 1960s guitars, and the whole petrol head scene revolves around 50-year-old engines. How does that, I mean, have you seen that sort of stuff mm. in your research, and how does that, what What do you think that tells us about about church and old stuff in church, whether how much old stuff we might be able to stick with or whatever?
0: Yeah, well, I think it's a very good point, you know. That, Question being, um, yeah, the, the retro and the, and the return back to the old, and, and can churches tap into some of that? And the good news is, for a lot of those older churches, they're coming back in vogue. You know, uh, well, not quite, but but some of the elements are. You know, I think if we think about the life of young people, you know, I said iPad two out listen than a after iPad one. You got a, an iPhone. They go, you got the old one. You know, There's a new one, and oh, mine's not that old. But you know, suddenly it's, it's antiquated. Let alone. The app is getting updated every number of weeks, and and it's almost like because there's new stuff all the time and upgrades and benefits, um, it's almost as like they're not impressed by anything anymore. And there's and and where's the stability and the solid and the awe and the transcendence and, and something bigger than than just this this upgrade and this new thing. And and I think um, in the world of the church, you know, that's what we have worship and. God and and transcendence and and there is that sense of awe and, and it's just so out of their world which is great and i think I think the other thing their world doesn 't have because of all the change all the time is is um, symbolism and, and and ritual and and if you look at at the world of young people and, and others as well today people are instituting ritual because their life doesn't have it they because there's not the twenty first or the keys to the house or the debutante ball or the engagement and and, and even marriage you know um people are instituting that tattoos is a classic example of that ritual and the marker of events in life um the pandora bracelets you know these sorts of things that people even uh, a lot more people now um going on coming of age type type adventures um going for travel or, or or perhaps i'm going to climb this or i'm going to camp out for a week here or go solo there's there's a lot more of that because our life has become devoid of those of those uh, milestones and markers and and i think the church offers that you know communion and and um and, and symbols i mean the cross you know and and i think therefore being relevant is not to get rid of the stained glass windows if a church happens to have that because that is there is this um, appreciation for the sacred because there is nothing sacred in life. As I was saying earlier, the Aussie culture is is irreverence. But then to find a zone where there actually is reverence and awe and transcendence and, and where there is actually respect and where we don't bag each other out and it's not always the negative, but actually these people respect each other, respect the leadership, that is so contrarian in their world that it's actually new and fresh and it's not retro, it's actually unique. So... We do need to look hard at what we have and and cling to some of that stuff we think might be antiquated. Because you know, in this world, always chasing the new, it's actually timeless. That that old um, saying, you know, if you marry if you marry the spirit of the age, you end up a widower. Is exactly right. You know, if we just chase every new trend, and so hopefully my the takeaway is not to observe these trends and go, okay, let's chase after whatever that stuff is. Sometimes because of these trends, we need to draw a line in the sand, and because there is a trend there, I'm going to work harder on standing for this you know Um, so the answer is not to chase every trend because that is the surest way to irrelevancy Uh, I I mean a little metaphor and I don't know enough about it to get into it in depth but I can just say from an outsider's um, observation uh, Robert Shuler was and the Crystal Cathedral I mean he was a guy about being contemporary in Mm -hmm. 1972 or whenever he he got things going and consulted and polled and, and did the research and built something that is Still very relevant for 1972, you know, in terms of the, the edifice that is created there, and the structures and the robes and, and the blend of, of what it was for that time. And now, not only from what I've seen the congregation, but just the whole structure, it's very antiquated, even though it was very current. And I think that's the problem, you know, if if we build something for the time without the flexibility and without standing for it. Uh, not that's the case in every point there, but but I think it, in a broader sense of the metaphor. So so I think it is about. Um, being clear on what we are and not apologising for some of that because, you know, we don't want to um, be like a generation that doesn't have anything. And so as look around, we want to stand for something and, and that'll give them a bit more security. Yeah.
4: Mark, on that, what do you think then um, the kind of people's views are of denomination versus new independent, no tradition type stuff? Have you got any research there that'll kind of, like are people running to back to tradition? Uh, should we stick and, and wait out our days in
0: kind of, of churches and see it come back? Or just let's just go start stuff. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, we have done enough focus groups in general terms, and I mean related in terms of brands, to, that I can make a few comments. Um, and that is that brands with the younger generations don't have the same strength that they used to. Brands are useful for for categorizing and for giving a sense of nomenclature, you know, and and, and um, knowing where things fit in and knowing levels of brands and this is expensive and this is cheap. And mm. and I think um, we've got a, a bunch of baby boomers and even a bunch a generation of Gen Xs who are a little bit confused by the non denominational churches, the independent churches, because they can't quite classify. Is this this Bible Church here, or this community church? Is, what are they? Is that a new cult, or you know what is that? So they don't quite get it, and they're more likely to. They understand the brands and appreciate the denominational brands because of what that is. But the generation coming through, the Gen Ys, are so naive as to first see the denominations that they don't. the denominational churches don't even get the benefit of the clarity and and the and the significance that the denomination and, and its legacy brings to the next generation who's naive. So so all that they have is perhaps sometimes the, the, the negative of that, um, that is that, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an empowered generation that doesn't want to connect in with the brand anyway, whether that be political party as we see, whether that be um, brand of product or, or in this case the denominations. So I think independent churches um, have, uh, they're not giving up much, not being with that brand. Um, however where there can be uh, those cross-denominational brands that might even be campaigns that go from time to time, like the Jesus All About Life campaign. I think that that is a positive thing. Uh, I know from the, both the national survey we ran after that and the focus groups that that really helped, particularly the boomers uh, and, and even the older Gen Xs realise that, oh, I saw those blue banners. That's I didn't realise they were even all Christian churches. Like, you know, there's a lot of, again, naivety out there. And so that gave a sense that, oh, these guys are all, you know, pulling in a similar direction at least as far as Jesus is concerned um, so there's occasion I think where that those interchurch gatherings can be helpful in that sense but I think the individual standalone churches um, have some benefits these days in a post-categorical society and
4: Some of us are going to areas that aren't mainstream Sydney, like regional areas Can we, how do we work that sort of stuff out for our local area?
0: Well, the, the good thing with research is that the you know, research methods and, and, and research instruments um, firstly are firstly very useful and secondly reasonably easy to, to implement. So you know, I'm a big fan of, of churches and church planters conducting research and doing it themselves. Uh, I think if it's done from proven scientific methods um, and done from a clear intention, so firstly we've got the methods right, so we're... Trying to be you know we're going to be not biased we're going to you know, write objective open-ended questions and not be leading and, and and the second point being that it's done from um at the right intention so we're saying okay i'm going out here now um not to door knock to to proselytize uh, that that might be uh, and is of course a worthy worthy goal but if we go with that intention as we would if i was doing something for the jesus all of our life and someone says would say, what do I do to be safe? i say, well, I'll tell you after the focus group. But right now, you know, we've got some... i <laughs> um, under an ethics charter here as a researcher. So if you're stepping out with the researcher hat on, then you do the right thing in terms of being, uh, you know, objective and under that ethic of knocking on the door saying I'm here to research, you know, um, we're involved in the church plan, but I just want to ask you some questions no pressure. No, no uh, objective, don't know. Um, Then it's a very useful thing. Um, and, and they would be... Uh, those instruments would be surveys... Um, I mean, on, online these days is is very um, a straightforward way to, to do it through SurveyMonkey, uh, For example, you get a free account and get it and um, and and find ways of getting the email link sent out to people in the area um, through to focus groups, which is even better in that um, you know you invite a couple of people along, incentivise, put on the pizzas and the soft drinks, um, if not even some movie tickets uh, for the attendees, because that's again the expectation people have, and I think it's it's respectful of them, and and then you. Literally, just asking them—you know—their questions of what they think of the church and how church would look if they were to engage in it, and all those sorts of things it can be an extremely useful exercise. You know, we call it qualitative research. This focus group, so we can charge money for it, but it's—it's uh, it's, asking—it's a question. It's, it's facilitating conversation. So, I think churches should, you know, should engage in that.
5: Can I, can I, just on that? So, moving from the quantitative to the qualitative. So, you to, today really give us the big, the big picture overview. Um, you, you just spoke then about doing focus groups. Uh, there's just that face-to-face spending time in a community as well and asking the questions of people as well. Uh, you, know, what, um, you know, what does it look like to put together a focus group? What does it look like to put together a survey? Um, and then how do you move from, you know, the survey to actually making decisions based on, you know, on the results of the research? Yeah. How do you, you know, how do you interpret uh, the research that you, you've gathered?
0: Well, um, quick answers to that, we tend to do our quantitative first, so our surveying work first, although you know, there's reasons to go the other way, but if I think about if I was in a church plant, you know, what would I do? Um, you, know, you can sit at home, you can get the research instrument right or the survey right and again do it online and you might even have a pen and paper version of it, which again, if you design it, you can then print it out and away you go. Um, because that, in a, I think for most of you, in terms of the financial investment, and perhaps even the time investment, is probably um, the easiest to get started. So you get the survey distributed however you can. You know, ideally, you get the survey link, and then you get all friends or fellow people in the church plant to send a, you know, that link out to people. Um, and it would have you know some intro comments that it's objectively conducted, privacy, you know, details as such that you you'll be de-identifying it. It's going to be um, aggregated content, not, not looking at individual responses, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and and I, I know, Scott, we've briefly talked in, with you as well, Ron, about about developing some um, some sort of overview, church plan, a research pack, and I'm happy to do that and, and make that available uh, based on our, our knowledge. So anyway, that would be the survey, and then you get that out. And once you've got the data back from that, that it's called quantitative because it gives you, you know, quantities of data, and it's all... Closed-ended questions, largely multiple choice, so it gives you a lot of the of the what people are thinking. The percentages: 80% don't want sermons, but they want more conversations, or they they don't like the small groups. They want more of the anonymity, and so it gives you all these findings, which is very useful. But it, it only gives you the what, and then you want to know the why. Well, why do they want to be anonymous with the church, and why do they want to slip in and slip out, and why don't they want you know? So. So that's when you move to the qualitative, because you're going to get quality insights when you move to more of those discussion groups. So, so um, then you would you would want to, again, you might have someone get a bunch of people together. They might be an affinity group, so they're all people who happen to know each other through a network, and that's in many ways more natural. You meet in the host's home and, and you come along and you do that or you might do it a bit more like we would do it where they're all um, people that are in a sense randomly selected from the area or, or people that are unrelated and they come together and you just move through probably an hour and a half discussion. You've got a little facilitator's guide and it, you might start off just more broadly around interests and, and you know, warm the room um, through to you know general religion and perceptions of that and what's happening in the news and what do you think and Christianity and through to some more detail of of, of jesus and the bible and what you think through to the church and how it operates and if a church was to set up how would you want to be marketed to or how would you find out about it and what would be your first impressions what would you want what wouldn't you want what are your sensitivities? so you start big and you, you go small and if it's well run it's a, it's, it's a great little conversation there's no pressure at the end he's moved and thanks so much i hope you enjoyed the night and uh, here's a brochure by the way if you want to come to church you know, we're not going to hit you up for it but um you know feel free and, and away you go so so with a bit more investment there in, in that and, and the time and the location and the recruitment, but um, but that's a very useful exercise as well, and that might play out into more in-depth through some phone call interviews or other forms. But um, but that's the the general process, mm-hmm. and they achieve two different things. So so the, the data side, the quant is going to give you different stuff to more the discussions and the ideas and exploring you know, some depth in in, in the qual. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark, I'm
3: interested to
1: just see your views on how Sydney's going to grow in the next few years mm. um, particularly at the moment with the church planning scene it's quite popular to have inner city church plants but Sydney seems at the moment quite suburban and um, particularly I was looking at the like the state metro plans and they've, they've got a tagline where a city of cities seeing these regional areas like Parramatta, that's going to be a city and other places um, Like, what's your insights into that and I'm keen to see what were some of the motiva- motivation factors for people moving every five years? Is it yeah. kids and upgrading mm. life stage? Mm. What's your thoughts Yeah, on
0: it's the- a great question, the future of Sydney <coughs> and, and where is it going. Yeah. Um, I think <coughs> it's not going to quite play out like the previous state government had the plan, okay. um, which is fully infill, you know, by by filling in the, the inner and, and, and even you know, middle suburbs with, with more high density You know, buildings over train lines and all of that. That will happen because we are going to continue to get more people and, and we 've got a generation rising that are delaying having families for an extra mm-hmm. ten years thirty one is the average age now starting the kids, plus um, urban and professional and the CBD is always going to be there as that main hub of employment, particularly for the professions. Um, so that will always be therefore you. you're going to get you know, the, the inner city growth residentially. But at the same time, it's not just that, because we are going to get the continued urban sprawl. Because the fact is that, as Australians, we, we have that Aussie dream, we like a patch of dirt, and we're wedded to our cars. So we're never going to become a Singapore or a Hong Kong. We're never going to be that, that public transport-reliant city. We just, as Australians, we just, we've got a different psyche to that. We a different lifestyle, a different tradition. So we are, therefore, going to have people, as we have now, and that'll grow, um, living in Sydney, but living two hours from the city, and and therefore um, their world, even though they're Sydney siders, might take them to the CBD, you know, once every six months or uh, at most for some. Through to if they're in business, they might have to zip in for meetings, you know, once every month. But but that might be about it. And their world, as you say, will be around the the, the working hub of Parramatta. Or now we've got one here in, in the Hills. And here we are in the West <coughs> Business Park, and people. Church and life and, and work and everything is, is all local. Uh, the Shire, little you know, has those and and, and always been its own little microcosm there. But uh, um, but but we're getting more than that. The Northern Beaches, the business parks going in there, Brookvale and other places. So so I think that that that's more the future. It is going to be this city of cities, and people um, will be a bit more regionally based in terms of their life, um, even though you'll still get this infill and this this, this heavy urbanisation in the in the inner suburbs. Mm-hmm. And and, the, and just one more comment on that, um, and what you'll also get is um, is a push from the outer edge of the city, of the suburbs, so the southwest and even, even the very edge of the northwest, um, where people have perhaps bitten off more than they can chew, or just we're seeing it now with, with some mortgage defaults, yeah. 2%, you know, in, in some suburbs pretty low, but still yeah. higher than, than, than um, we'd seen in the past um and they're just finding it just too tough maybe it's the commute maybe it's the electricity price maybe it's the sydney living maybe it's the mortgage that they've got and so they realize well you know it two hours of the city it's two hours to, uh you know over the over the great divide i, I can you know let go of perhaps even you know, Bathurst beyond that maybe make a lifestyle change to dubbo um to Wagga Wagga, and i can get twice the house half the price and i can have some lifestyle and the kids can go to a nice little school uh, if you've seen that Evo Cities campaign, um, they've done very well. That's, I think, the website, evocities.com.au. <laughs> but um, but these eight or so cities in New South Wales, Armidale and, um, and Griffith, you know, they're all part of this, saying you want lifestyle and <laughs> nice place to raise your kids and cost benefits, you know, move out. So we, we are going to see a continued growth in those regional cities, um, even beyond the capitals for affordability reasons. Okay. And on
1: the point of mobility, do you think... Um, that if you plan in certain suburbs, you're you're really out looking at a certain life stage. Or uh, do you think is it harder to have a, a widespread to have kids, the young, the gen Y, gen X, or do you think because people move around, if you're you know closer to CBD or the those areas, then you're looking at that kind of, and then you know more yeah. suburban is more family. Do you think that's there's that segregation happening
0: more? Or? Th- there is a bit more of that generational stratification happening in our city and I think if the church can uh, be that intergenerational church it's a great thing and it's one of the last few intergenerational hubs that we have in our society because everything is so stratified people on Facebook within a couple of years of us and everyone is focused on their little thing and we're all into diversity and yet generationally speaking we don't connect much across the generations socially so the church is that bastion where Every tribe and nation, tongue and language, and generation can be represented and, and, and be, uh, be part of the body. Um, so I think it's a great thing and a shining light to the world uh, where it can happen. But I think it is harder to happen to, to, make, to, to, to achieve because of the fact that, yeah, in a, in a city, you know, you're not so much going to get the families, although there are more of them, but you're not so much going to get that. And now you get some of the older you know, baby boomer couples downsized. Um, uh, some areas have it far more than others. So in the hills, you're going to get all ages, for example, in the Shire, the same. Um, and then, um, mm-hmm. a, and then you're moving a bit further west, you're going to get some of the families, but you're not going to get that same socioeconomic uh, diversity. So, so I think we have become a bit more stratified on income and on on generation, and that I think will probably be a, a mark of, of um, churches going forward. Okay. How do you find out that
4: information for your suburb?
0: Well, apart from the ABS stuff, which is uh, abs.gov.au, and it's got great uh, data there, um, but it's, the thing about ABS is it's super rich in terms of content and super hard to find what you want. <laughs> you have to allocate you know, a few hours to find some you know, really useful stuff. Um, but keep in mind, you can call them up and they'll give you free help, particularly if it's non-commercial. So mm-hmm. just call the ABS. Um, they've got a statistics helpline. <laughs> And groups like us use them all the time, and I think you know, your average Aussie uh, never gets their you know, 5 cents of investment worth. But, 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 but do that. Um, but beyond that, probably I think one of the best um, and, and cost-effective solutions is the NCLS stuff, particularly with their um, community profiles, which I think they're like $100, and they'll send it for your area, and I think they've got a 10K sort of regional ring um, and and that is just worth every cent of it 165 and, uh, 165 okay there we go for
5: church planners they're normally $1600 yeah
0: that's sort of information I mean if you see what they've done is they've bought the, the license the ABS stuff they've built some software and back ended into that and to do that yourself it costs tens of thousands um, to go to other agencies that provide that research agencies that have invested in that it's going to cost you thousands and for church, church planners mm. it's say 165 It's it's great now It's all stuff that it's all ABS data, and you can find it if you spend a week. But uh, probably better to spend the money. It's a good place to start, and once you've seen um, that, then you can dig deeper in particular areas.
5: It's interesting as well how you um, how you perceive a community. You know, you kind of see what you want to see, and then like I looked at the Surrey Hills data with one of our church planters, and um, I was surprised how young the population was, and I was surprised how multi-ethnic it was. Mm. Uh, You know, from just my you know, growing up, going past Surrey Hills every, every day to go to school um, and seeing, you know, the changes that have taken yeah. place. And that was only a one, I think we did a one, a one or two K radius. Right. It was a very small, you know, area that we looked at. And, yep. uh, you know, your perceptions are quite
2: different from the reality. Yeah. I was just saying with the NCLS stuff, something I did, I think Greg's done, but just tapping into other local pastors who've already bought mm. the thing, Hmm. And they'll go, well, you're planning in our region, here's all the data, and sharing it around. Or getting together with some other guys and going, we all live here, we all want to know what's going on, how about we get this together?
0: Also, ABS, if you get their um, social trends Reports they do um, they do it by city. We've got hard copies of it here, but um, it's all PDF and it's all free online, and and that is really useful because they look at it based on a whole city, right? So you're looking at a whole city but they break the city up into statistical divisions, and and if you and it's really and it's color coded, so they'll do it by concentration. So they'll say here are the here are the areas with the north to threes, you know, in terms of head of population, and, and red is where there's a heavy concentration, and light red is white where there's none, and, or hardly any, and, and, and you you can almost flick these, if you print it in colour, you can look at where are the over 65s, where are the under 3s, and, and you sort of get a sense of here's where this is and here's where that is, and it gives you a sense of that, because I think it is important to have that whole of city um, perspective, so you know where you sit, so I think the 2K in-depth analysis is great, but then get a sense of the whole city. Because because that, that tells you volumes as
1: well.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you work with developers and with the commercials. Would you be able to share kind of what what parts of city they're interested in or what they're targeting?
0: Yeah, well, most of the developers just because of what they do in their business model, they they're greenfield site developers, so they tend to be you know out this way. Um, there's nothing, you know, really east of here or, or south of here, So, or southwest and, um, and, uh, and northwest is where it's at. Um, and, and you know, they are um, on the cutting edge of all of this in terms of understanding communities, because their whole development depends on this. I mean, they're not just selling a house and land package, they're selling community. Uh, you know, ropes crossing down south are up here, the, the, the Oran Park development or Rouse Hill just completed. And and so they they really do master plan the whole thing, and they say, "Well, what do people want?" And the shopping centre, and then community facilities, and uh, and, and obviously the, the the landscaping and layout. And and um, you know they have mm-hmm. recognised that people are buying a lifestyle, people are aspirational. If someone is buying a home, it's because they have a commitment to the area and they want to raise their kids, or they want to um, you know have have some work life balance. And, and again, this is right where the church sits in this very space mm-hmm. of of connecting. Know, in that in that third place yeah, environment.
4: Do you think, Mark, um, if you can get in property wise into what they're building, so say Russell Town South, say the church you got in early and been able put a, a church there, that would be helpful things to do. So I know in the area we're looking at, there's new developments happening, this great like mm. second largest shopping centre in the country is being built there. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole lot of land there that makes me just think, man, it would be awesome to have a church right where this hub is of, of people hanging out. Is that
0: I think it's so important, you know, because the church is increasingly marginalised. I think not. it's not that the world is anti the church um, a, as a whole. I think we sometimes think maybe the society is more negative than it really is. And again, I was talking about who ticks the Christianity box and there's certain elements in academia, perhaps, or in, in certain areas of the press where maybe there's is, is perhaps an agenda, um, although sometimes I think we're even perhaps more conspiracy-filled than, than, than is the reality there. But, in, but, but the thing is, we're just not on the radar screen. And so the developer is developing, and they think, um, I don't think we need a scout hall anymore. That's not around. What else? are no churches not around. No. We need a shopping centre. We need a little suburban shopping strip. Um, and maybe we need a men's shed, you know, because they're the things that, that are going on. Um, we need some community land. We need a decent play, playground, community barbecue facility. So, so they're thinking in that way and because we're not there rattling the cage and I, I think, I know out at Oren Park the, um, the, the landowner was particularly sympathetic and Anglicare and the Anglicans got on board there and I think that there's sort of some, quite a good space allocated there and I know at Top Ride the developer also was sympathetic towards a church coming in and getting hold of some of the, the space so, so I think if we're there you know, we, we, we can be part of it and we can literally be built into the, into the
3: landscape and I think that would be key can make a comment. Things that have happened in my direction, uh, as as I understand it, two or three different churches were actually offered <coughs> something, and all of them said, "Oh no, we're not interested." So they actually shot themselves in the foot. <coughs> to which I'm eternally grateful. <laughs> uh, I'm uh, I was going to ask you a question. Just a lot of us are working with young families, at that stage of life, and you are as well, I guess. Um, what do you see the biggest pressure being
0: on young families in the next 10 to 20 years do you think? Hmm. i think in the next five years certainly we have entered a new zone where the financial strains are great um and it's not a little blip and it's not just a post gfc thing um, um it's it's sustained pressure on the household budgets. That's the reality. Um we're gonna see a little bit of increase in, in wages, I think, but but we'll go with that will be a little bit of an increase in, in those interest rates. Um and the fact is in a city like Sydney, um, you know though we've got demand greater than supply in housing and therefore we've got um expensive houses and therefore big mortgages. Um and and that's and and we're talking about Sydney, that's the majority of people's if they've got kids they're going to um, they're buying a place they tend to have a mortgage and, and that's their experience so i think that that is sustained um we've seen the gfc sort of shake a bit of fear into people and over the last year or two we've seen this deleveraging you know people paying down as much as they can on that mortgage cutting down on the credit card use um, trimming back getting rid of the mowing guy and uh, the dog wash people and uh, doing a bit more of that themselves. Uh, which is a good thing, um, you know, down-trading in brands, so saving a bit more heading off to Aldi, not, not, uh, not Woolies, you know, buying the private label brands rather than, you know. So, so we've seen a lot of that behavioural stuff, um, even getting, you know, dropping the gym membership, uh, getting rid of the self-storage facility, perhaps um, um, taking the kids out of the private school. So those behavioural changes, getting rid of the, the second car, there's been, it, it has had an impact. And I think we've entered a new era of financial conservatism. That'll be around for some time to stay. That 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 pressure on budgets isn't going to go away. Plus, what are we going to see? Energy prices go up 30% in the next four or five years, um, and and there's associated utilities bills. And so so that's the the future. Um, but if we take a so the point is there that we've got in Sydney people <coughs> paddling to keep their head above, and and some are even struggling to do that or, or aren't quite doing that. Um, if we take it further afield, I think that, you know, after that financial survival mode and the kids are growing up a bit, I've got a little bit more of an ease, I can take a bit of a breather on the on the expenses, and, you know, as the family moves to that next life stage, I think it is going to be a bit more of the significance, like what are we doing and, and where are we headed and what's, what, ha, are we making the most of, of our life? You know, is there anything else? Uh, I think that'll come through in the parenting. We... We find that parents are totally out of their depth with parenting. Um, you know, it used to be that the grandparents were around. It used to be that you just did what everyone did: you smacked the kids, you you, you know, disciplined them, and and the school got behind you. And, and there was there was just that that structure there, and that's not there. And and the results of that are starting to be seen in these households. And they're, well, you took those tools away from you. What? How do you raise your kids? And the parents are busy, and you know, the technology. They're totally. We find parents are totally out of their depth in, in um, seeing the dangers of the technology. The kids are more savvy than the parents are. Uh, the majority of households in Australia with dependent children have wireless internet connectivity, which means the kids have got the iPads or the whatever else in the bedrooms <coughs> and they're getting up to whatever and, and the dangers. So so parents are losing um, that that parental um, impact in, in a lot of ways and out of their depth, so I think that's another pressure that they face. And then, as I said, yeah, that, that aspirational thing, well, where are we going, and what's life all about, and what else is there? And I think that's that, um, yeah, Bob Beaufort writes about from success to significance. And I think, I think, you know, it's not just in the older age groups, in other words, if you pay off the mortgage, and, you know, you, you've got the castle, and you, you've, you're all set, and the kids are growing up, um, it even happens in the, in the 40s, and people will say... Yeah, you know, what else is there? Do I buy the Harley? Do I, you know, do I get the jet ski? Is that what our future is or, or is there something else? I think that at that transition point, you've got a great opportunity as the church to, to connect as well. well Mark,
2: um, in, in, the, in the, on the Central Coast, at least 70% of the coast commutes <coughs> that two hours to come of work mm. uh, each way often. Um, can you comment on, on the
1: pressures that that would put on uh, just churches in general church life, mm. community, all that sort of stuff?
0: yeah. Um, well, it's massive, isn't it? You know, you've got that commute and the and the strain. You've got the ABS talks about the biggest rise in job holder now is the multiple job holder. So you've got people holding multiple jobs. Many of them are off. Increasingly, it's, it's it's the mum, you know, who's she's got the, the two day week job, and now the strain's on, and she picks up another one day week job. You know, that's that's we've seen a lot of growth in that. So you've got the two income earning household. So you've got the two the dual commute with the kids and the complexity of that. Um, So that has a massive impact Um, and you see it in all areas, we've we've done, I did some work recently for a few um, youth development organisations, they used to and always have relied on everything from the local sporting club, you know, who's going to man the canteen at that on a Saturday through to the school, and the PNC and and the canteen there, they are struggling Um, and a lot have now been commercialised because they just can't get the, the, the volunteers in mum or dad because you're know, two income earning and the long commute and they'd love to commit and they want to be around the kids more and they just can't so that's having impact in those community areas and obviously the church in terms of you know who is the one day I mean now Saturday's busy it's the one day of the week when you do all your little things and the shopping and the soccer and Jenny's got the netball and we're rushing here and there because um, the kids are a bit more some would say indulged, certainly more structured in, in their life. And, and so both parents' hands on just with the kids on the Saturdays, Sundays this, this, you know, take a breather. And, um, and then you want me to run the Sunday school class for the year sixes, you know, I, I think I'll opt out this year. So, so I think the church is really struggling there to, to get those volunteers involved. Um, and that's just, you know, the new, the new reality. And, and I think if you look at what um, solutions, let alone the small group and, and committing to that, um, let alone the, um, you know, the the midweek teaching program, whatever else we have is, and we have had in our churches, um, we're struggling. So what are solutions? Well, if we think of what these community organisations are doing or schools that still have canteens uh, run by the, the volunteers, um, they'll say, look, forget about volunteering for the term. Um, let's do three-week blocks or can you do two weeks in this thing or let's not have the manager for the soccer team because no let's have let's allocate and, and each parent does oranges one, one week or twice, you know, in the in the season. It's we're seeing um a drop down in the commitment and pragmatic solutions come around. And I think the church, you know, is starting to do that as well rather than the maybe we'll do this midweek, three week um training session rather than run it for ten weeks of the whole term. Maybe we'll do a um, the church camp might end up being the, the Saturday and the Saturday night, you know, maybe maybe the one night rather than you know, the full retreat I mean we're just um, it just changes to accommodate the, the complexities, I think keeping the intention of what's there um, but doing it in a way that's going to be more feasible in the 21st century I think that's what we're seeing Mark um, this has been lots of it about the gen-
2: emerging generations now But in reality, if we want to reach Australia, then we're going to be looking at Generation Alpha, and where will they be in church? How do, when do we? What are kind of the? I know you don't have the data on them because they're so young. You wait until they're up and getting stuff on Gen Y now. So what are futurists saying about what the future will look like, and how we can can we be organising structures like Geneva to be thinking 20 years down the track, reaching Australia? Because in 10 years, Gen Y are going to be. Yeah, the old guys. Yeah, hitting forties. Yeah. Yeah, and so we, if yeah, and most of us, we've got churches in ten years' time trying to reach the new.
0: Yeah, it's it's fascinating, isn't it? This this future you know forecast, and and you think about church development. I mean, church planning, but think about building development. You're going to build buildings that are going to be around for you know fifty, sixty years, hopefully. Um, we found this with these developers that we worked at. It's fine to talk about three- to five-year time horizons. They're going to build a building that's going to be around for 60 years. So what do they do? Um, how do they develop them? You know, They're well aware of the changing trends, and they've almost got to the point of, of building buildings that basically um, have the right amenity that's going to work today but have a structure, the internals of which can be totally changed because the idea that we can know now what... 2030 will be like and how we'll work then, considering five years ago we didn't have Twitter, we didn't know what social media was, we didn't have smartphones and we didn't have, uh, you know, tablet computing, let alone 25 years, you know, it's crazy. Um, I, as you do when you hold, you know, a child of yours, I was holding my one-year-old son Corbyn recently and working out that he'll still be at school in 2028, Uh, he'll still be in the workforce in 2080, you know, based on today's numbers, so... So as we're looking towards the 22nd century, he'll still be in the workplace, and he's not. this isn't some theoretical generation, these are these kids we have. So, so what their education and work will be like, they're clearly going to work in careers that don't even exist now, um, they're going to be educated in ways we can't imagine. And, and I think that it is useful to have these thoughts um, regarding church as well. Um, Bearing in mind that church is different to education and work in that there are some not negotiables, which I think offers us a little bit more structure. Yeah. We say, what what will we not compromise on? What is timeless? And let's put that in and then let's, let's work around uh, in the gaps. Um, but with Generation Y, I mean, apart from the main point that we need to be flexible and adaptive and realise that there's going to be changes we can't yet foresee, um, I think if we look at the economic trends and the demographic trends, they're going to be growing up in, um, in very much at the peak of the ageing of our population. This ageing tsunami, it's, it's not an, an inaccurate term. I think it's, it's almost going to take our nation by surprise. We're going to, we've got three million retirees. We're going to get six million trying to squeeze into that space uh, in the next three decades. It's essentially a doubling um, of our older population. Um, that's going to have big impacts. Um, we. It's the largest generation in terms of births, as we've been discussing. Um, birth rate's half what it was in the 1960s, but the population's more than twice what it was. So it out. We've got more babies than ever, is the point. Um, but, but being um, being raised in a little bit more conservative times, you know, uh, global competition and formal education and um, three-year-olds or four-year-olds heading off to, to school, 90% of year 12s. 90% of students going through to year 12 is the federal government target. <laughs> um, everyone being able to access university, I even mean, these are some of the, the policy platforms. Um, so I think that we're going to end up with an even more educated, structured um, generation. And, and you know, I think that they'll be looking for more. I think they'll respond well to, um, to, to some of what we've been discussing here today in terms of more meaning and structure and content. Um, but I think how we communicate that is yeah, I'm just going to continue to change.